0: introducing the most marvelous and magnificent podcast of all time
1: Kai the podcast (laughs) aloha seasiders i hope you guys are having a fantastic week we are here um i'm your host mackenzie alvarez and i'm joined by levi fuanga how are you doing
2: i'm doing fantastic it's been a great day it's been a great week
1: Awesome. Well, today we are very privileged to have the very, very spirited and colorful (laughs) Daniel Henderson, Associate Professor of Music. How are you doing today? Hey,
0: actual words instead of just notes. I'm good. Thank you.
1: Awesome. Cool. Well, we are super, super excited to have you here. Um, And we can't wait to get to know you a little bit more. Right on. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into it. So I am curious, like, so how... Tell us about your journey of music and like how did you come to this profession and kind of like your your passion for that.
0: I recently found a note I had written to myself at age 15 uh, about my life goals and it I actually was surprised reading it because I didn't know it had happened this early, but it said that I wanted to be a jazz music professor when I was 15 years old. Wow! Um, My parents are both music professors. I started piano lessons when I was two or three years old. Music was just a huge part of my life all the time. Uh, But most importantly, I just loved music, and I still do. I love music every single day, and I'm obsessed with learning about it. I, I study it I listen to it in all of my spare time um, and so uh, I I first played piano I eventually picked up the trumpet uh, when, when I was 12 years old um, got a bachelor's degree in trumpet performance um, but then uh, during my my bachelor's degree sort of discovered that I was actually kind of a composer more interested in, in composing music than than performing as a trumpeter and so uh, I eventually went to get my master's and my doctorate in jazz composition out in Boston. And um, so I'm now a a professor of music. I do jazz and all (laughs) kinds of other things, not actually limited to any particular genre and uh my my musical interests are, 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 are as wide as, as the world i'm i'm interested in in all of it mm-hmm. and uh, feel like life is short just get to listen and study as much as i can as fast as i can before it's all over you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that, that yeah that that's the
2: fast version i guess yeah, wow sure. i love that yeah i love that you have a lot of variety and i'm just curious how long have you taught here at BYU Hawaii? this is my this is my uh 7th year uh yeah mm. Interesting.
1: Yep. Okay, so I have heard this quote before, and you can tell me if this is wrong or not. So everybody has told me that jazz music is like a great blues band that fell down the stairs. Mm. What <laughs> would you say to something like that? <laughs> I
0: feel bad for the guys. I, I mean, like, um, <laughs> but yeah, you'll recover. You know, maybe your your blues will be even bluesier when you sing about falling down the stairs, you know. Yeah. I was up at the top. The other day, and then you (laughs) pushed me. Yes, you pushed me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. That's interesting. Maybe that introduces chaos, danger, uh, unpredictability. So sure, yeah, I I think that blues is is an inherent part of jazz Mm -hmm. from its earliest days. Uh, jazz, of course, now is is very, very broad. Uh, j- jazz uh, musicians tend to think of themselves as sort of the musical omnivores, meaning that uh, we're interested in all of it. And w- w- what are we interested in playing? All of it. Um, jazz musicians are inherently very curious, um, very passionate about new music and discoveries and, and um kind of branching out in, in, in new skills. So yeah, sure, blues band, falling down the stairs, <laughs> maybe falling down the stairs, passing a library along the way, um, <laughs> and uh, and a whole bunch of windows into different parts of the world. Let's say that, sure. Okay,
1: cool. <laughs> well, also, I just want to know, what was like the artist that kind of like hooked you onto to jazz maybe?
0: Mm. First, it was Wynton Marsalis, trumpeter. Uh, he was my childhood idol. Uh, like One of the all-time great trumpet players, for sure, and jazz musicians. Um, and I actually got to be on the faculty with him at Harvard for three years, which is amazing, like oh, my wow. my childhood idol mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I'm like sitting at the piano with him talking about chords, you know <laughs> I'm like so what? Cool. I could not surreal. believe it yeah, it, it really was, but a, a, the one that ended up having the biggest influence eventually was Billy May. Mm. Billy may's not as, as well known a name, at least not today, but um, he he was an arranger uh, which meant that he he is the guy that's in the recording studio with Frank Sinatra with Nat King Cole, with Ella Fitzgerald, and he's written all of their arrangements. That means he writes out, like, you know, you might write the melody, you might write the lyrics, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it becomes this whole huge orchestral, like, masterpiece with Mm -hmm. trumpets and violins and everything. That's his job. And, uh... And, uh, so he, he like sort of like reinvented American popular music in the, in the fifties, uh, with humor and color and fun and romance and flirtation and everything behind all those artists, Sinatra and everybody. And, uh, the, the, the reason he changed my life is because I actually met him and we became friends when he was 85. Um, got to go spend a day with him at his house before he, he, he died with my video camera. and have like hours of video <laughs> I- interviews with him. And the, the moment I met Billy May uh, and I had been studying his music for a while before that off his original manuscripts, it was like, this this is my life. I love this. Mm-hmm. That like the the man's music makes me laugh. It makes me cry in all the best ways. Mm-hmm. It just moves me. Um, and uh, so that yeah that was that was the biggest influence. And still even though he's been dead now uh, for for many years, I, I still feel almost like he's sort of like whispering over my shoulder sometimes. Like I can still <laughs> hear his voice, and uh, and and feel kind of like I just sort of ch-
2: channel his humor and, and creativity sometimes. I
1: love that. That's awesome. Yeah
2: so i don't know a lot about music other than that i listen to it every day Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i once watched a movie and some character said a quote that's something like this it's like without music life would be a mistake (laughs) and like i truly believe that because i don't know what i would do if i didn't have anything to listen to but as a music teacher like what has music done for you and like and what your are the students maybe? Too. And what are like reasons why you can't live without it?
0: Oh man, how long is this podcast? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but but like just take one for instance, like movies. Like how many of you out there listening binge on Netflix sometimes or Amazon Prime or Hulu or or whatever? You're you're honestly not just watching Netflix. You're listening to music almost all the time and allowing it to influence your emotions, to lift you, to, to carry you on some journey. If, if you watched any Hollywood cinematic movie without the music, it would not be nearly the experience that it is. You know, like just the, this, the choice of a single chord at the right moment can break your heart or thrill you or make you terrified. Like if you're watching a horror movie and it's just someone sitting on their couch, a, a woman sitting alone on her couch and it's dark or whatever, but everything looks normal. And all of a sudden you start to feel creeped out. It's not because of the actress. It's not because of the script writing. It says woman sits on couch. But then the script will say like creepy chord enters. <laughs> you know, and the composer there gives you the chord and you go, no, I know something's <laughs> happening. Something's about to happen. It's going to be devastating. Get out while you can. Uh, so, so music, music is a storyteller. Uh, it, it, it lifts the emotions. It, it creates surprise. Um it's a really powerful art and, and, um, it's a, it can be a medicine. I mean, how, how many of us have the songs that we go to for, for medicinal purposes? You just had a, yeah. a, a breakup that broke your heart. What song do you go to? Um, you know, you, you're feeling nostalgic for someone that you love and, or, or and lost or, or something like that. What song do you go to? You know, like m- music is, is, is there for you. So, um, I mean, it's, it's radically, like, just, I, I mean, I can't imagine my life without it. It's, almost everything I do is, is related to it. But, um being involved in music in in music making in an ensemble in a choir in an orchestra in a band something like that is also an experience that's really difficult to find anywhere else you know the closest comparable thing might be in in like a team like if you join a basketball team or a football team or something like that where uh, it's about coming together and working together as an ensemble for to create something that's more magnificent more beautiful more excellent more noteworthy than any of you could come up with on your own and uh, whether you're going to become a professional musician or not. Uh, you, you got that experience of creating this beautiful thing that didn't exist until you and, and your friends walked in the room and, and made it happen. Um, so yeah, there's just a few little things off the top of my head about music. But yeah, that, I mean, could go on and on.
1: I love that though, because you could just see how passionate you are about it. Um, kind of just like moving on, like I want to talk to you about kind of like your teaching and about like your students. Because sure. I know that's something you're definitely very passionate about. And I love asking teachers this: What is like your goal here at BYU Hawaii when it comes to like teaching like ensemble, or it comes to teaching your students?
0: I think creating the best experience possible for my students.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you have to be kind of flexible, actually. Like we're we're, we're a small school, and we're we're not um, we we don't have all the bits and pieces that you might want uh, in an ideal music school. Like I, I went to a conservatory for my yeah. for my for my grad school which means that you have just musicians everywhere and they're all amazing. Mm-hmm. They're all gonna play in professional orchestras or whatever eventually. And uh, that's ideal, that's great. You, you can do anything you want. Here, we, we don't have the numbers mm-hmm. and a lot of students are not as serious about their music, understandably, because you're majoring in other stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so, so I, I say like, uh, what's the best experience I can create for the students that walk into my classroom or into my ensemble in this setting on this particular year. Mm-hmm. And I may have the luxury of having a singer like Ralph who's sitting there in, in the booth <laughs> or a drummer like Paolo who played in my band uh, last last semester. Uh, and then I say, okay, well, I've got these two, these two talented kids. What can I create with them, but know that they'll be gone. Uh, eventually they'll graduate, move on, and I've got to create something something new for them. So uh, I think that's kind of like what I'm doing with studio orchestra or my other classes that I've designed here, like the songwriting class, is just like, we can do this here. This is possible. It's going to be an amazing experience for them. And uh, most of the students in the studio orchestra will not become professional musicians. Most of them have no aspirations to do it. They major in whatever else. But uh, this is just going to be, the, when they look back on their BYU-Hawaii experience, I hope that they'll look back and say, that moment with that orchestra or that that experience in, in that band room just like was one of the great the great highlights of my life you know
1: mm, that's awesome especially you could even see that on the stage like when you tend like when I went to the last concert that you guys had mm. so kind of like moving on to that what was the experience in creating something like that from like selecting music and even also what they wore
0: Oh, what they wore. What they
1: wore. Yeah. You like it? I loved it. It reminded me of an Easter egg. It was we, fantastic. Yes. When
0: when I started describing the color scheme to to some people on campus, there was this this like trepidation like, "Oh, <laughs> this could be really embarrassing. He wants everyone to walk on stage in yellow tuxedos." You know. <laughs> but basically, it was like I I want this pastel blue, pink, and, and some yellow pops of yellow, mm-hmm. and I knew it would work. I I I like, you know, color obviously is a thing with me. Yes. And, and uh thanks to the help as I said at the concert of um, Crystal Densley and Ari Sorensen the theater students that kind of helped us get the costuming together like the moment we walked on stage everyone was like yes <laughs> by the way that's that's another reminder that color helps tell the story like these are tuxedos and dresses 50s like kind of swing style dresses but but uh, and so that's formal and that's mm-hmm. serious and and, uh, and we've worked hard but we're wearing yellow pink and pastel blue yeah. which means we're fun we're light hearted we have a sense of humor uh, this is going to be a, a really fresh, vibrant, fun experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, the experience has um, is, is been incredibly rewarding. The, the studio orchestra is made possible, uh, it's, or I should say, powered by research, archival research. Right. Um, typically, in, in a university ensemble, you just perform music that's published. You can buy it from uh, online, and they send you the, the parts. You put it on your music stand, and your job is just to perform it. We are not doing that at all. Um, Uh, I've spent 20 years working in archives, working with the original manuscripts of uh, Nat King Cole and uh, Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and Billy May and uh, bringing that like uh, making facsimiles and teaching the students how to read those things and how to interpret them uh, has been incredibly rewarding experience and one that is is actually unique uh, I think uh, the music that we're choosing quite frequently no one else has ever performed it since the original Hollywood recording sessions right, so the orchestra is on fire I mean with enthusiasm I think
2: mm-hmm. and another question um. What is your favorite piece that you like to perform or love to perform? Mm.
0: I always love getting a chance to do my own music um, because it's something that like I've that has just lived inside me. And if I can find some way to take this thing or this experience that's happening inside me and get it in front of other musicians and have them bring it to life, that's really rewarding. Um, But right now, what I'm getting to do with studio orchestra is to bring to life on the stage some of my favorite arrangements from the golden age of popular music, the 40s, 50s, into the 60s a little bit. Uh, like Come Fly With Me, that started our concert. Come fly with me, come fly, let's fly away. You know, that that arrangement for orchestra by Billy May is just like pure gold mu- musically. Like it's thrilling to hear all the sounds he's got in the orchestra. And um and knowing that, that that happened in 1957 in Hollywood and then kind of never again for decades uh, except you just listen to the record or the CD or the download or whatever. And now all of a sudden here it is on stage. You get to hear it in all of its full, vivacious, colorful glory yeah. on our stage at BYU-Hawaii. That's a thrill. Um, so that that was one of my favorites on this last concert. But honestly, like if I'm putting it on the program with studio orchestras, it's because I love it and I've probably loved it for a long time.
2: Awesome, man. You know, with Christmas, I don't mean to bring it up so early. I mean, I do acknowledge that Thanksgiving is still near. (laughs) But with, like, Christmas being the next, like, I would say, very festive holiday, one that's definitely accompanied by music, like, what kind of, like, Christmas music do you, like, adhere to or enjoy performing or arranging? I enjoy lots. I I love
0: like old medieval and Renaissance stuff that like you don't even think of as Christmas music, but like old chants that are like 900 years old that were done sort of during the Advent or Christmas season. But here we're we're doing like vintage 1940s and 50s Christmas. Mm -hmm. And uh, one really exciting thing we're doing. And this is something that like, I mean, internationally cool for this next Christmas concert is this. So everybody knows that the Nat King Cole recording, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. That was the Nat King Cole's version of that was the first recorded version of that song. And it became one of the best selling Christmas songs of all time, and definitely one of the, the most recognized. Uh, here's, the, here's why it's so cool that, that we're, what we're doing on this concert. Um, that was first recorded in 1946. Then it was recorded in 1953 and in 1961 by Nat King Cole. The same version all three times because they had better microphones. Mm-hmm. Nat's voice gets a little better as he gets older. And uh, in 1953, it was directed by the person who might be the greatest orchestral arranger in the history of Hollywood popular music, Nelson Riddle, or conducted by him. And uh, But you have Nelson Riddle conducting the original arrangement that he didn't write. And so I even brought with me today... To, uh, to, to, uh, so you can hear, listen, listen to this. Oh, there it is. <laughs> that, was, that was the sound of me jiggling a record. So this is the Nat King Cole Christmas song from 1953, mm-hmm. the 1961 version. Now this 1953 sounds like the, the, uh, the 61 version that you've probably heard, but here's what people don't know. And as far as I know, nobody knows that these two things, these two documents exist that I'm just pulling up right here. So these are facsimiles of manuscript scores, handwritten, unpublished scores that no one has ever published or photographed or anything like that. And uh, these are two versions of the Christmas song for orchestra, written for Nat King Cole. See here that says Nat oh right gosh. there. Christmas song by Nelson Riddle. There's his personal stamp, and he dates it. And you see it on um, the top, even with like his he's name. He's the man and that like reinvented that. Frank Sinatra. Nelson Riddle, like he he's he's like maybe maybe the best of that era for orchestra. And uh, these versions never made it to the recording studio. Uh, because the producer ended up deciding we just want to do the original arrangement with better microphones. Don't mess Mm -hmm. with it. It's gold. Like people will say, why did you change it? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so these have sat there in the archive for decades and have never been performed by anybody else. And in fact, I don't think anybody knows that they exist. Wow. And we are going to perform not only that original version, but both of these. Interesting. One is the version you already know, but it's completely filled out for full orchestra instead of just like the violins and a little bit of viola and cello. Mm -hmm. It's got all the brass and woodwinds and everything and then one is totally new unlike the Nat King Cole version at all oh, wow. and so this is like a world premiere of two Nat King Cole arrangements that the world does not know exists mm-hmm. and it'll be done right here on our stage at BYU Hawaii like an amazing yeah. thing to have happen
1: that is yeah. so cool and i think kind of just like going along with that because like i feel like a lot of people do know about like frank sinatra like dean martin nat king cole mm-hmm. they're known pretty worldwide why do you think their music is so timeless
0: mm. i would call it the golden age of popular music i guess for a reason in that um uh lyric writing was probably never technically better than than it was during the 30s 40s 50s mm-hmm. um uh, Come fly with me, come fly, let's fly away. In llama land, there's a one-man band, and he'll toot his flute for you. I mean, like, the, the rhyme's in there, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. llama land, one-man band, toot his <laughs> flute. Like, that spectacular so- songwriting. Terrific composers, amazing mm-hmm. composers from the golden age there. And then the arrangers, like, most popular music today. Uh Is I mean, and popular music can be spectacular today. Mm -hmm. It can be very good, but it tends to be a small group of people or one individual sitting at a computer, coming up with a really awesome beat and adding some nice sounds, and then you do some vocal overdubs and editing and some cool effects and everything like that. But back then, in the in say let's say the fifties, you've got about forty elite like world class musicians in the recording studio with one of the best arrangers of all time, the Billy May and Nelson Riddle, those kind of names, writing uh, fresh new orchestra versions with the best recording engineers that, uh, that the world had at that time, like Capitol Records Tower in the yeah. 50s. Um, and so it's, a, it's an extraordinary number of world-class musicians in the studio at the same time cre- creating fresh music together and so it, it, it most of that music has even taken on this timeless feel right now it's just great no yeah. matter whether you like the genre or not like that's a, that's an incredible achievement by yeah. by those people artistically so it's definitely yeah. like a
1: collaborative effort you'd oh, say absolutely definitely because like even like even just you describing it you can visually almost see like people like scri- like scribbling down things and rewriting and then today like not saying that it isn't a collaborative effort but it's more so on the individual
0: yeah like just think about the the degrees of creative contribution by people in there say a a lyricist collaborates with a songwriter of course we do that in popular music frequently today not all the time Mm -hmm. but a a lyricist and a songwriter collaborate and then they bring a song say to nat king cole or frank sinatra and say frank nat what do do you think (laughs) of the song would you do it and and nat says okay i think this is gonna this is gonna be a hit let's do it and then he goes and finds say billy may Mm -hmm. and sit down with billy may at the piano and say what could this be what can we do? And Billy May sits there at the piano, works through some harmonies, some ideas, and then he goes and writes the arrangement. Uh, so he's the like the fourth person in, in line. He'll write the score that looks like this thing here. <laughs> There's the score, and then you get someone to write out all the parts for the orchestra and then income 40 world class performers and the best recording engineers so yeah collaboration is absolutely the name of the game and it, it um could, could was inconceivable to do it as a as a as a one person yeah. kind of deal back then
1: and i feel like it definitely made the hits like like when i think of like those types of people i think of like unforgettable like unforgettable like yeah. you you hear Nelson that Reddoll, and King Cole. it's yeah. fantastic and you like never forget it because it's just so timeless and it it's gets, unforgettable it's unforgettable <laughs> and it gets used over and over sure. again yeah. um i feel like a lot of these artists get used over and over again with like of a, a tempo, whatever. And that, so. that's,
0: that song in, in itself is also a testament to collaboration um, because Nat King Cole did not write the song, but he uh, the song writers brought it to him, and he actually changed some of the lyrics. Interesting. Uh, oth- other, other artists had been offered the opportunity to sing the song, or they tried to get anybody to do it, and uh, and Nat make, made some pivotal changes to it to, mm-hmm. to make it better and reharmonize some things, change it up a little bit, make this work, and then the song is great. And then you hand it off to Nelson riddle who adds his own orchestral kind of color and uh yeah the co- collaboration get all the creative brilliant minds to working together on a project and it's going to be better than any of you would have been able to do on your own
1: i love that perfect yeah that, that just makes me happy i'm a big music history nerd so mm. listening to this kind of stuff just like makes me like oh yeah that's awesome so very cool
2: i know thank you so much um, dr henderson just for sharing like your knowledge your aspirations your passion for music we could obviously go talking on more about it but unfortunately we do have to bring this podcast to a close but before we do that <laughs> that too <laughs> We do want to ask a few questions just to get you, get to know you a little better and right so on. great. We just have these five quick questions that bring we'd like on. to ask. I'll be fast. So <laughs> the first thing, the first question is what has been your most favorite thing you've done here in Hawaii? Studio Orchestra
1: what is the first thing you do in the morning?
2: Grown, because I'm 42.
0: Whoa. <laughs> I'm not 32 anymore.
2: <laughs> what is a recent book or movie that you enjoyed?
0: Um, the the brand new Nat King Cole biography by Will Friedwald called Straighten Up and Fly Right. One of the best researched and best written books in the history of uh, of writing about popular music. Fantastic book. Totally recommend it, whether you're into music or not. Nat King Cole. Yeah. Great book. Will Friedwald.
1: Awesome. Ice cream flavor.
0: All of them, uh, as, as long as long as they're premium or super premium. I, I I eat about half a pint to a pint of ice cream every night before I go to bed. Um, usually, Haagen Dazs, Ben and Jerry's, or some of the even fancier stuff you can get from uh, like Whole Foods or something like that. So if if it's gourmet and and premium, which actually has a certain amount of milk fat in it, you know, if you can get up to like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen <laughs> percent milk fat in the ice cream, that's what I love.
2: I'm sorry, you said a pint.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a key to a healthy life, apparently.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about 1,000 to 1,400 calories per night of ice cream every night before
2: I go to bed. It keeps me happy. It's like mental health, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> and then, what is a childhood dream? Well, I feel like you've shared with us already, but just to reiterate that mm-hmm.
1: it's a childhood dream you had. Yeah. A
2: childhood dream I had.
0: Um, I, I if, if, you know, music, I, I've always loved music, but really what I wanted to be the most was a pirate. Um, and if if I couldn't be a pirate, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, eventually a basketball player, I want to play for the Utah Jazz, uh, and then if not that, I want to be a brain surgeon. None of those things worked out, um, so I became a, a musician. I guess I kind of kind of dream odd uh, directions and everything like that, but uh, yeah, it's kind of, I guess those are all adventures, like an adventure of discovering how the brain works, or of adventure of like, uh, conquering the world of athletics, or or being a pirate and sailing the the wide open seas, you know.
2: And like not to sound cheesy, you've obviously discovered who you truly are after all of that. After yeah, all of
0: that, totally. Mm-hmm. I love it. I've never I've never burned out on it. Of course, there there are like challenges and frustrations in in the profession as there are in any profession. But I've I've always loved music, and I can't conceive of getting to a point where I'm bored by it because like I feel like I've just scratched the surface of what I'm capable of doing as a musician and what there is to learn there's so much to learn out there
1: well awesome thank you so much for coming on this podcast today I think we definitely learned a lot especially about music history and about you
2: (laughs) and we thank you again for those who are tuning in and uh, Dr. Henderson how about you how about we end this podcast the way you would do it Any musical Any musical Any
1: musical outro. We
2: hope this podcast has
0: been unforgettable in every way.
2: Aloha seasiders, Mahalos.